The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Dear listener, please close your eyes for this movie theater meditation brought to you by Fantango. Breathe in. Smell the fresh popcorn. Now exhale. <sighs> Open your eyes and proceed to the best seats in the house you reserved on Fandango. Recline. Now, download the free Fandango app for movie times, tickets, and seats at your favorite theaters. Fandango. It's your ticket to the movies. Devin McCourty talked about it on Football Night in America. He said watching in the film room with Sims, he goes, he's got a couple rockets on his feet. feet. I, I was like, he didn't say, say that. Feet? I said, I said it up his ass. Come on. I want to, you're going to quote me, quote me right. Was, oh, yeah, that's right. It's Chris Sims Unbuttoned. We are here on Wednesday, week nine. What the fuck happened? Review, a.k.a. Treasure Hunters. We're starting out with swears everywhere on this one. I mean, rockets on his feet. What are you talking about, Devin McCourty? I am here with Ahmed Fareed. He is wearing some very bright blue pants and yeah. a bright zip-up. Well, not that bright of a blue zip-up hoodie. It's all blue, though. It's all blue. I like it. You're, you're copping my style. I like, yeah. I see it because, I mean, I'm always blue. You're black on I mean, Sunday, Sunday night. Which, like, I was a little offended Sunday night because I came out Sunday night week nine, and you were like, I think you should start doing this every week. This should be a new thing. And I want to be like, I have. It's no, week no, no, nine. No, no, I've worn it no, no, no. nine weeks no, in a row. No, I go, is this is this your look every week? And you go, you go, yes. Yeah, thank you for finally noticing. So you're saying I quoted you wrong there. I, yeah, exactly. Rockets <laughs> on his feet. Um, rockets on his shirt. Um, no, this is, yeah, I walked out of the house today and Kathleen was like, that's a lot of blue. And then yeah. I was wearing the blue and socks, said, too. And you said, I'm with Chris Sims unbuttoned. The, the sign is blue. The sign is blue. Chris wears mostly blue on most days. Usually on Wednesday. He's a little blue because he's tired from the long week that he's had, but you come in more refreshed and than smiling and bright-eyed than any week this season Thank so far. Thank you to Ahmed Fareed and the suggestion of yes. maybe you shouldn't do the Monday and Tuesday morning show on PFT with that little of sleep. And yeah. uh, did, I didn't do Tuesday this week. It was great. It was a game-changer actually. So I feel totally different this Wednesday morning where I'm usually in a fog and like literally starting the pod, drinking coffee and going, okay, here we go. Let me get going here. Let me start thinking correctly. Uh, I feel like I'm thinking as correctly as I can think. Good. I'm up to maximum capacity for Chris <laughs> Sims right now, at least. So Kristen, Gabby, Morgan, Mackenzie, Pete back there. Lots be about, of swears coming. Lots of swears. Yeah. It's going to be about two and a half hours. We're going to be going. We're not going to want to stop oh, yeah. here. And I owe Kristen. Kristen, anyways, she's been in Germany all last That's week. That's true. She was slacking. Yep. So I'm going to say all That's the right. bad we, words for her day. She sent me a, a German license plate picture of the word fuck on it that had the U bleeped out and yes. it said f star ck yeah right uh it's a great license plate i need to get one like that is that a thing in germany though i mean was that actually like uh, unless there's another like german that? word that i don't know of I, i'm not sure <laughs> there are a lot of german words we don't know <laughs> um yeah that was good uh Kristen sending that thinking of us every time she sees a four-letter word she thinks of chris sims at this point which I'm is honored. which is cool all right we got a lot to do in this in this podcast because of course we do have treasure treasure hunters aka 
what the F happened, a.k.a. let's just look at the film review. But we also want to do some midseason awards, and we wanted some real midseason awards. Right. You know, like, oh, who's the midseason MVP, the Rookie homies. of the Year, all that stuff. But we also wanted the homies to come up with their creative midseason awards. Yeah. And they did a great job with that because we have, like, the best, the, the best listeners and viewers out of there. Of all homies. We have the best homies of all homies. So let's get right into it. We're yeah. going to start with the midseason awards. Okay. Let's start with the basic ones. We'll save the creative ones for a little bit down the road here. Uh, let's look at the DraftKings odds right now for MVP. So here we are, smack dab in the middle of the season. And this is, according to them, a three-person race, potentially a five-person race here. So the favorites are all at plus 350, and they're three co-favorites. Right. Uh, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, and Patrick Mahomes, all at plus 350. And then just a little bit behind... You have Tua at plus 650, and then you have Joe Burrow probably creeping up here. I'm, I'm yeah, sure he wasn't right. plus 700 just a couple weeks ago, maybe even last week. And then a little bit longer shots, you have Christian McCaffrey, Josh Allen, and Trevor Lawrence, but still in that upper echelon. Yeah. So as we sit here right now, who would you declare as your midseason MVP? Well, I mean, again, I think it's, to me, a little bit frustrating and annoying that it's all quarterbacks other than Christian McCaffrey. Agreed. To me, there's there's something wrong with the process where only a quarterback can win MVP in football. It's like basically like, you know, I mean, and other sports being like, well, you know, only only a shooting guard can win can win the MVP in basketball, or only the guy who hits the most home runs. You know, or the best pitcher. I don't know. It just doesn't seem right. I don't think it's fair. All right. So the first thing I would say is watch out for Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow. Those would be the two guys that are on this list that I would certainly say, I feel like to your point and what you said about Burrow, arrow pointing up, trajectory going steep upward incline to where I feel like stats are going to start to blow up to add into the fact of like, yes, they're both playing really good football. You know, I see, you know, I, Mahomes, I, 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 I I don't see MVP-ish week-in, week-out type of performances from Mahomes right now. Right. And Jalen Hurts, who's been really good this year, and I would argue has actually made more high-level throws through nine weeks this year than he did last year, right, in a lot of ways. But he's also, what, second in football in turnovers? You, you can't be the MVP with being second in football in turnovers. That doesn't make sense to me. All right, here. If I was going to pick an MVP right now from what we've seen, mm-hmm. Tyreek Hill is the MVP of football. He's your MVP. He is my MVP through the nine weeks of the season of what we've seen and who is most valuable to their team, let alone you know the most special entity in the game right now. I'm going Tyreek Hill. Right, the, the the Dolphins, everything about them. You take him off the Dolphins, they're a good offense. I'm not sure they're a great offense. Mm-hmm. You know, he's on pace still, even with the lackluster week last week of being right there at 2,000 yards and shattering the all-time record. You know, the guy with the ball in his hands is the most dangerous guy in the sport. The guy before the game even starts is the guy defensive coordinators worry about more than any other player in the sport in game planning and stopping him. Mm. So that's where. You know, I give Tyree Kill, and I'm ashamed A.J. Brown isn't on that list, too, because he should be above some of these quarterbacks. But Tyree Kill, for me, would be the MVP right now. I mean, that's – will we ever see the day where quarterbacks don't get all the love for MVP? Because Pete mentions in my ear, and he makes a good point. And the point is is that it's the most important position in all of football. If you don't have the quarterback playing at a high level, you're probably not going to be a championship team that year. Maybe you won't even be a playoff team. Yeah. And so it's like the reason that we do give him all the love for MVP is without that key piece. Because without Tyreek Hill, 
I mean, I guess you could make the case without Tyreek Hill, the Dolphins. I don't think the Dolphins' offense, Tua, no, the stats are not going to be the same. He's this more side. important to that offensive flow than, than anything. any quarterback exactly. will be. Exactly. That, that's, that's all I'm trying to say. It's not an indictment on Tua. Tua is really good. You know, I, I, I got that. But, you know, for me to sit here and you go, wait, you subtract him for him, like they're going to be in a much worse place, you know, without Tyreek Hill and supplanting some other starting receiver in football there as compared to where if we took two out and put another starting quarterback there. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think there's going to be a much bigger drop-off in that department. Uh, so, yeah, that's where you know, I, I, would go, I would go with Tyreek Kill. And, again, I'm going to continue to be fair in this conversation and beat this down because it is stupid. It, it's not, I understand it's the most important position in the sports. I get that. But I also think that there's a lot of things that sometimes add to the quarterback stats and what they get and win losses, of course, that go on their stats as it is, too. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that's always fair or right. Uh, and, and that's why I'm going to support Tyreek. I think if Christian McCaffrey goes off and the 49ers right. go on this massive run Through here. four weeks, that would have been my first I think he could pick. do it. I think he could right. do it. I'm going to go chalk-ish. Okay. Yeah. I'd go Patrick Mahomes right now. Yeah. I'd go Patrick Mahomes. They're 7-2. and two, right? yeah. We don't think there's anything about the Chiefs. Defensively, as you broke down yeah. last week, uh, defensively, and we will break down here, they're a lot better. Right. And they may be as good as they've been with they Patrick are, Mahomes definitely. as a quarterback. Definitely. But like offensively, without Patrick Mahomes, what are they? I, th- I think that's a fair point. I think that's where he's sneaky a good candidate for that yeah. reason. Like I don't think he's not going to have the stats that blow us away this year to no. where we're going to look at it and go, oh, he definitely is. But again, when you talk about valuable player – not the guy with the best stats on the best team. Yep. Yeah, you're right. To, to make it work with that offense right now, the receivers certainly don't blow you out of the water, right? It's Kelsey, and then it's just like who's going to be the other guy that day? We never know. It kind of changes, whatever else. And you're right. It's Mahomes that gives that team belief and makes the offense work. You know, but as of right now, yeah, that offense is, is not anything special. They kind of feast on the poor. And then when they got to play good teams, a little bit like we'll talk about with Miami, you know, their offense kind of struggles. And it is very reliant on Mahomes to make extraordinary plays. Pete threw something in here, and this yeah. is interesting. Tyreek Hill is plus 4,000 to win the MVP. Right. A.J. Brown is plus 7,500, so he, he's even a bigger value yeah, there, and right. he is affecting that offense in similar ways. Uh, exactly. I, I, that's, that, that's where I, I just look at them, and I look at the value they have to their football team right now, and I just go, it's up there with anybody in the sport at any position, and I don't understand why it doesn't get valued more in the public. What a great weapon to go, oh, okay, it's third and, it's third and eight, and I can throw the ball four yards – and he can break two tackles and get first down. Oh, it's third and eight, and they're blitzing us, and I have nowhere to throw. Let me just throw it up to this guy, and he'll go up and catch it, right? Oh, it's first and ten. Let me just throw a screen over here, and now he's going to break a tackle and run up the sidelines for 45 yards. Like, those are game-changing, special-type things that I think are a little bit going undervalued in in this conversation, and that's where I just would like to see them get more love. Uh, Are we worried, though, about Tyreek and the Dolphins' offense as a whole slowing down? We saw it last year. I know. So this year, Tyreek has over 1,000 yards already, eight touchdowns. Last year through nine games, over 1,000 yards. Only had three touchdowns there, but still, they were using him a ton. Last year, though, his final eight games, 606 yards. Now, they did have quarterback injuries. Yeah, right. Um, but are we worried? things. And we did see this past week. Yeah. Chiefs had a pretty good plan yeah. for him. No, I, I think there's definitely a worry there. 
you know, what you've seen. Now, the Chiefs, the Eagles, the Bills have certainly put a blueprint out a little bit to how to give that Dolphins offense some problems. You know, but like to me, the pill, the Bills did some things there. You know, they're going to play them again. The Bills defense is going to be totally different when they play them because of the injuries, right? So that's one thing I look at. But the other thing I would look at is just go, you know, most defenses are not going to have the type of talent that the Chiefs and the Eagles have to actually, and even the Bills, because that was before they all got injured on that side of the ball, you know, they don't have the talent to do some of the things we're talking about schematically. Now, they play the Jets and the Ravens down the stretch and the Cowboys, and I would think those are some teams that certainly have the talent and a defensive coordinator can think outside the box a little mm-hmm. bit and slow this pace down. It'll be interesting to see as we go along here. Yeah, because we are getting to the type of year, time of the year where teams start to catch on to tendencies and how people are used yeah. and start to realize, ooh, they attack this part of the field a lot more than that part of the field. Let's put more people there, and we'll see where it goes and see if Miami can make the adjustments. As they say, you can't win the championship the first nine weeks. No, you cannot. No, you cannot. Even the last nine weeks, you've no. got to just win the Super no, Bowl. No, you That's can't. the only way you can win the championship. Right. Defensive player of the year. Let's yeah. take a look at the DraftKings defensive player of the year odds as they sit right now. This one clearly looks like a three-man race. we got Micah Parsons, the slight favorite right now. Miles Garrett just below him. And then T.J. Watt just below him. And then you got a group. My guy Aiden Hutchinson, plus 2,000. Max Crosby. Nick Bosa. Surprising to see him so far down the list, but he really hasn't popped. No, hasn't popped. Like hasn't he normally does like this year. we usually see. Right, exactly. His teammate Fred Warner is right there with him at plus 3,500, and then Chris Jones at plus 3,500. Yeah. First I, of all, what do you think of the the odds? I think uh, in, in, like, in reality, the top three guys, the top five guys deserve to be there, really. You know, Max Crosby actually probably deserves more love, but the fact that he's not on a top-tier defense and Mm -hmm. wins, he probably should be up there closer to the T.J. Watt type of numbers as far as actual play on the field. Can I say it right now? He would be my defensive player of the year right now. Because I'm looking at a lot of the numbers. He leads, I'm looking at PFF right now, he leads all edge guys in pressures. Yes, he does. And he plays a ton, you know, so he gets a lot of run. And I like that. What's he do, like, when you look at him, because I I, I don't look at this type of stuff. Like, what's his run defensive stuff and all that? There, like, on the PFF grade? Yeah. I'll look at it. Yeah. Um, actually, they have him number two behind Demarcus Lawrence okay. this year. All right. As far as a run yeah. defender. And here's, here's the thing that I love about Max Crosby. He has almost 600 snaps this year. Yeah. He has 594. The second most is Daniil Hunter with 527. Right. So he has like 70 more than the next closest guy. Incredible. So he plays all the time, plays at a high level. I, I love Played watching every him snap play. snap the game on Sunday. Every snap. He played like 83 snaps against the Lions the week before. It's just like he would he would be my guy. And I get your point. Yeah. Like he's not on a winning team. Yeah. Big, good defense. But, no, but I, I think love the way he so, plays. I mean, again, when you get into the pure aspect of value, yeah, it's it should be a more, you know, or a lower number, you know, as far as odds there. I tend, and if you made me pick one right now, right, and I got no problem with really – to me, the top three guys are a little bit in the class of their own. Michael Parsons, Miles Garrett, T.J. Watt. And then, you know, then there's Aiden Hutchinson, right? And like I said, I think Max Crosby should be closer to that T.J. Watt number at plus 200. Um, I would go with Miles Garrett. He'd be the one I would look at right now. Miles Garrett, just week in and week out, has such a great effect on the football game. Not that I've watched every game they've played on film, but I think it's been four, five at least to say, yeah, at least four or five. And it's not only pressures on the quarterback, it's pressures in big moments, strip sacks in big moments, 
right? There's big tackles for losses in the run game in big moments. He's an absolute force in the run game. The blocked field goal and jumping over the pile against the Colts. To me, it's just like not only is he always good, but I feel like this is a year where his level of play has gone to another level, especially in key moments of the football game. And I think that, and then you add on the fact that the Cleveland defense is doing some special things, and of course he's the best player on that defense, I would go with Miles Garrett. I think he would be my favorite to win yeah. it too. You know, yeah. Micah Parsons, although Nick Bosa won it last year, and I feel like, you know, I don't know what's, Pete said in my ear, three sacks this year, and of course he wasn't there during all training camp. This doesn't seem like it's good. Yeah, no, it hasn't. He's got he's pressure on the court. Bosa's being there. really good. It's just not great. That, yep. That's all I would say. And then TJ Watt, I think, succumbs to the fact that we're just like over. Like you get bored with some of these guys, right? Like I think Patrick Mahomes won't get the love because like, okay, yeah, we like, can't oh, give it to him every year. Yeah, exactly, right. It's like TJ right. Watt won it in 20, uh, 2021. And they're like, yeah, but, and we gave it to your brother a couple times too, like three times. It seems yeah, like the yeah. Watt name. Yeah, yeah, it's right. like, yeah, yeah, we get that. You're having a good year. So I do think like this is Miles Garrett year. And he's only 27 years old still. That's oh, crazy. It, it, he's like no signs of falling off at all. In fact, I mean – you know, really might be just starting to hit his prime, actually, yeah. when you just could put it all together as far as where his physical ability is and then I think where his mental aspect of his game is at as well. Uh, and, you know, I would say I feel like he changes game plans maybe more than the rest of these guys in the group right now. Micah's right up there with him as far as that. But when you watch Miles Garrett and that, and no matter who they're playing – I mean, teams are always, let's keep a tight end there, or let's have the tight end chip him before he goes out, running back chip him before he goes out. Yeah. Let's see if we can slide his way. It's always the attention is on him, and he always delivers. Uh, and being a great leader, and I think Jim Schwartz getting a little bit more out of him has made that whole defense you know, turn the corner and become great. A former first overall pick. Now, finally, how many years has he been in the league here? I'm looking at it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He's been good, obviously, but might be the best that we've seen Miles Garrett here seven years in. Yeah, yeah. Time now. Time now. For some of the homies awards here. I like this. And someone suggested the Victory Lap Awards for the best best, uh, prediction here. So before we get into it. Yeah, okay. Let's hear the song. Smells like victory. Victory is mine! Victory! Oh, man. I love that song. It's been a long time since we've heard that song. I know. I love that song. I love the real NFL films version of that song. It's a great one. Yes. And you love the reason we do it is because it's something that we predicted correctly. It's usually means Chris did something right, so let's publicize it. (laughs) So that is a feel-good song. And so, all right, looking around the NFL right now, if there's a, an evaluation or maybe even a team or anything, like something that you called or had a feeling about in the offseason and it's come to fruition, what would that be? Well, okay. I mean, there's a few things. Again, I mean, I, I didn't get this job and get where I at, Matt, because I'm wrong all the time. Okay. Yeah. I'd like to think that I'm, I'm right more than I'm wrong. Yes. Um, I agree. You know, one of the things I'm proud of, even though it hasn't been pretty, you know, picking Pittsburgh to go to the playoffs. Right, picking Buffalo not to go to the playoffs as it stands right now, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. All right, uh, but I think by far, and this is an obvious answer because I talk, I feel like I even on Football Night in America is like half the weeks of the year I've talked about this player, C.J. Stroud. I, I can't not go there. Yeah, C.J. Stroud, what he has meant 
you know, to Houston and the level of play and the fact that, yeah, he was my number one quarterback. And, I mean, I raised the question earlier this week, I, have you ever seen a rookie quarterback play this good? I, I really don't know if we have. It's that special. Uh, so that would probably be the one I'm, I'm certainly the most proud of. Der Bielbachter. Oh, he could have fixed our pod. German stuff for us. That's true. Uh, he says, the Chris Sims Man Crush Award, C.J. Stroud. So, yeah, that would apply as well. Yes. Uh, Malcolm Johnson says, I love the pod, guys. Offensive Rookie Award, C.J. Stroud gets my vote. Does he get yours? I, mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt right now. Right? no one else, right? You know, Maybe yeah. his teammate, which would be one of my victory laps, Tank Dell, for liking him, uh, uh, watching him yeah, out of sure. Houston. Sure. Right? He yeah. went to Houston. Yeah, he's, no, Houston. he's Houston. University of Houston. He's still at Houston. That's right. Um, yeah, I, I, I look at that. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that jumps to my mind, you know. Yeah, Puka Nakua. Oh, those are that's definite, a, ooh, definite guys, you know. Jordan Addison. Sure, Peter's rattling sure. off some rookies in my I ear. I mean, Jameer those are Gibbs, all maybe after last awesome week. football players and all that. I didn't pr- predict Puka Nakua to be, you know, anything there as far as what he is. I didn't see that coming, so I can't take, you know, credit for that. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else there. You know, hey, Zay Flowers, even though the stats aren't huge, yeah. you know, the way he looks and everything like that, I mean, at least confirmed to me he's really dangerous. And the I have no he, yes. problem saying he was the the best, you know, rookie receiver. Jordan Addison is certainly showing his, showing his ass and challenging that for yep. sure. Yeah, Laporta for your Detroit Lions would be one of them. Uh, so I, those are a few that jumped at least to my mind there. I think not that you don't usually, but I feel like you had a pretty good year in your draft evaluations this we'll year. We'll see. We'll see. I think uh, so far it's, it's, it's panned out to be you know looking pretty good. We'll see where it goes. Yeah, yeah a lot of people had uh, Bryce over C.J. Stroud, and so far it's trending in the direction that C.J. Stroud is the quarterback you'd like to have there. But draft evaluations are not made first seven games into a season, nine no, they, games into no, a season. they are not. They're made <laughs> far into the future. Um, Stroud is a minus 500 favorite to win Offensive Rookie of the Year, so very, very heavy favorite yeah. to win that award. Orion Cheselwit says to us the biggest L of the season so far award is the S2 test. So the S2 test takes a big L because that was the test that C.J. Stroud struggled with. And I will say this, yeah. historically, and you brought this up on the right. podcast, right. Like that test did indicate that if you did poorly on that test, yes. there was a lot of players that did pretty bad in the NFL. Th- that's what the scary thing was, is just that from, from where they were at, right? You know, if you got a high grade, it did not necessarily mean you were going to be a great football yeah. player. But to this yes, point, indeed. and what I've heard from all my NFL friends, I will say this, is that, yes, with a low score – it had pretty much, I think, been foolproof yeah. that that person had not been successful. So that's what scared people off of C.J. Stroud. You know? And obviously I'm glad this happens because this shows that this test is not the end-all, be-all. <laughs> and I know so there's some other guys that teams and whatever have drafted, and they had these high scores. And I want to be like, well, he sucks. He got a high score, and he sucks on the football field. So I'm glad that high score made you draft him, right? Uh, so we'll see where this goes. But he's proving people wrong. Yeah. We're going to talk about him later. He's blowing me away and by far my new man crush in the NFL. It is the worst of all tests, right? You ace it. People are like, yeah, it's, that doesn't actually mean anything. You do bad on it. We're like, actually, that it does mean something. You know? It <laughs> right. is the worst of all right. tests. I have said this all the time. You should, no rookie should ever take that test. To get, there's, no, there's zero reason to take that test. There's no reason for an agent to have your player take that test. And I hope they stop taking it at this point. Self-scout thyself award. Yeah. So this okay. is, you got to take your medicine, right. right? We give you the victory lap. Right. 
We'll give you the self-scout thyself. What what predictions or calls are you feeling bad about it? Uh, I point? think the one that I feel worst about it, if I could have back more than anything else, would be the Packers winning the North. Okay? I kind of went out mm. on a limb there. You you bet against my Detroit Lions. I did. I went kind of the, uh, maybe there's too much hype around Detroit. I don't know if they'll really be able to live up to it. You know, the Packers, talented roster. There's going to be a chip on their shoulder. So they were the one where I kind of went outside the football evaluation and went a little bit gut with it a little bit. And also being a little bit of a more maybe of a believer than I should have been on Jordan Love, right? I think all that kind of ties hand in hand hmm. with the one I look at to go, oh, I was certainly wrong about that. I mean, again, I, I feel like if the Rams have Matthew Stafford last week, they're going to beat the Packers. It just feels that way. Uh, again, I know that's a bold statement, whatever else. But, yeah, certainly my, the one I feel most egregiously wrong about so far. It's still, it's still early. Yeah, it right? is still, still early. early with Jordan right. Love. What do you, what do you think? When, you, when you've watched him, it's just like there, there was, there's been some good early on in the yeah, season there for was. sure. You're there like, was. oh, wow, he really is going right. to step in and replace Aaron Rodgers. Here. I think that's what bothers me is I feel like it's actually kind of gone the other way, mm. right? It's, it's instead of – you know, trending upwards or just plateauing a little bit, and then we're going upwards little by little. No, there was a three- or four-week stretch where you go, I don't know, this might be getting worse, really. And that's what I think scares me. And I still think the jury's out. I do. I don't look at it yet or didn't even see anything last week that sits there and goes, okay, I think he's got it, right? No, I definitely have to see more. They're obviously going to see more. I think the one thing that he could stand – you know, or be confident about is, you know, since this was such a high-profile move, decision, draft pick, whatever you want to make, they're going to let him nine lives. He's going to have nine lives. He's going to get to finish out this season, I think, regardless, just because, hey, they got rid of Aaron Rodgers for him. They drafted him in the first round. They're going to give him every right to fail and fail mm-hmm. again and fail again before they move on, and hopefully that doesn't happen and he can kind of fix things as we go here. My biggest self-scout thyself um, is, which, by the way, before I get to that, in our playoff predictions contest, yeah. which you'll hear more about later this season right. as we see if the homies have to do some explaining on yeah. some of their predictions, yeah. 32% of the homies also thought the Packers would win the NFC North. So if you're listening out there and you know you're part of the crew there, you can feel this pain I'm, with I'm, Chris right now. I'm feeling pretty good about you know playoff predictions for the most part i think so for the most part you know all in all washington i had washington in there and that's a little dicey at this point yeah it's and three in the division i know yeah that's all right you tell everyone you gotta take a shot with a team here and there you can't go chalk for 14 teams you know because there's always a few curveballs that get thrown out at us here's here's myself scout thyself yeah um i i had the giants not making the playoffs i shouldn't have done that to you because knowing the season that the giants were about to have you didn't need that you didn't need that at the beginning of the year. And so that's myself, Scott, oh, myself. Good. Putting you in a bad mood before you needed to be put in a bad mood. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank yeah, that's you, one Ahmed. of those in a job interview where it's like you do the, what, what are your weaknesses? You know, I'm too honest. You know, I work too hard sometimes. Right, right. That was my, uh, that was my uh, self-scout thyself. Uh, were you going to add anything there? No, at the end? I don't think there's, I'm trying to look to see if there's anything else that I, I feel like, you know, th- th- that's probably the one. I can't remember. I was trying to think of any specific player like, predictions i made or anything like that like i picked mahomes to win an mv win the mvp yeah as far as like quality of play that you expect from an mvp type of quarterback yeah i don't think it's there right now now like you talked about a minute ago because he's the quarterback and they might get the number one seed right 
You know, maybe that still happens and all of that. And like you said, he's kind of making it happen with a group that I think is a little lackluster. Uh, but, but yeah, I don't feel necessarily comfortable about that prediction either. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. At the theater, more than the movies come to life, movie lovers march in and skip the line with digital tickets to the latest movies on the free Fandango app. Ready to grab some snacks. And head to the best seats in the house for a night of romance, terror, and quality family screen time. <laughs> Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. Okay, let's go to something we feel a little more comfortable about. The damn okay song. <laughs> I'm okay. I feel good about it. Damn. I'm okay. Yeah, no, I mean, yes. I'm okay. The legal gambling. Oh, baby. I am Chris Sims. I'm okay. Dan. Boom. Okay. Boom. So these are all in the realm of head-turning players, guys who have popped this year. Guys who are like, okay. Yeah. If you're new to the show, you, you look at the guy and you're like, oh, damn, okay. That was pretty good. I'm surprised. Um, so... Uh, I think some of the homies suggested here the uh, Are You Not Entertained Award for the Most Entertaining Player on a Losing Team. Oh, that was a good award. Did, that homie did not give an answer, right? He just wanted to hear what hear who, Chris who, who thought. Who we had to say, right. Okay, so yeah, Are You Not Entertained Award. So the most entertaining player on a losing team. Who would you pick for that? Huh. Are you not entertained? All right, I, gotta, I mean, you know me. It's hard for me to just pick one. Here would be my one if I had to pick anybody. Mm-hmm. All right, and... Like, again, I, I like to go with guys that are a little under the radar. I mean, mm-hmm. we know who the stars are and all that. I'm going to go with Rashid Shaheed. Oh, yes. Okay? You talk about a guy that's leading the league in average yards per catch, right? He's one of the best big play receivers in all of football, all right? Uh, to me, he's the most dangerous receiver on the New Orleans Saints football team. Mm-hmm. So he's the damn okay guy. I mean, I understand there's other guys out there that, of course, are worthy of damn okay type of, you know, things here. Uh, I, I get that. Yeah. But to me, he's the one that's 
the under the radar, not a household name yep. that I look at, and on a weekly basis we go, holy shit! Look at him return that kick, the punt, beat somebody deep down the field, whatever it is, a reverse, and he's a special, special entity that way. So he would be yeah. my number one pick. I got two other. Honorable you kind of cheated a little bit. He's yeah. not, not on a losing team. In fact, they're leading their division right now. But uh, he is <laughs> totally under the radar. So I, I do, I do appreciate that pick. You got another one. Well, okay, okay. Um, or one that actually oh wait, so qualifies wait. for the rules of so this wait, award. Wait. So I did – that was my damn okay player. Oh, they are these two are, separate awards. Oh, Can you I, read? I jumped I ahead. Mean, damn oh, okay, my host can't r- 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 read. <laughs> oh, got it. There are two separate ones here. You got okay, it? so that was your damn okay. Okay, fine. All right, all right. Okay, I have other ones for the are you not entertained. We have the damn okay, and got then it? are you not entertained is a whole different one. Myself, scout thyself yeah, was this segment. That segment. That, this segment right here. <laughs> this is the segment for me. I, I should have done better here. All right, um, so that's your damn okay. Okay, under the radar. Can, you want me to throw you my two... Honorable mentions for yes, damn okay while you're flustered and try to regain yourself here, <laughs> regather yourself. Yes. Puka Nakua, of yeah, course. Of course. How could you not? I'm going right? to take mine now. Yeah, All right. Okay, and then another one that, you know, not that it's going to be new to anybody in this podcast, but I want people to know how awesome this player is. And that is Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a little banged up the last few weeks, probably not 100%, but. Jalen Carter is one of the guys, you know, we've sat here a few weeks where I've just gotten, oh, my gosh, Jalen Carter. Oh, my gosh, Jalen Carter. He might be the best defensive tackle in football already. Totally. I mean, he's that type of player. I don't think he's quite getting that attention or being put in that realm, and I'm trying to sit here and tell you I do think he's that type of player. We're still trying to figure out why he – I mean, I guess we know why he slipped in the draft. Yeah. But it seemed like you, you had talked to enough people and known enough people with Jalen Carter where they're like – I don't know. I, I'm still surprised. He it's went hard ninth when in the you're draft. the one that has to put your ass on the line to make a decision about a guy where you go, man, I've I've heard a few stories that are not that good, and this is a game changing, life changing decision for our organization. Do I really want to do that? Yeah. You know, there's some other guys here that I like, maybe not as much as a player, but I trust them more off the field or whatever else. I'm going to go with that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's hard when your ass is on the line and you got to make those picks. So we have a couple numbers here. Jalen Carter is a favorite, odds-on favorite, minus 200 to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. Devin Witherspoon, not too far behind. He's plus 200. He's had some, some big plays there, too. Um. All right. My my damn okay. I'm all I'm all jacked. You're up all right screwed now. up. You want to just go to the Are you entertained one where yeah. you actually have one? <laughs> yes. Exactly. Because you confuse these. All right. About, all right. Are you entertained? The most entertaining player on a losing team, which I previewed moments ago. Yes. Uh, who's Who's your one for this? All right. Well, we brought this guy up already, so I don't want to make this my main guy. But Max Crosby is the first one that comes to mind, right? Yep. I mean, they're four and five, and like you just said, he. Is in the defense MVP conversation. Yep. All right. But more importantly, I'm going to go with somebody even more on a losing team. DJ Moore. DJ Moore, you know, I think everybody got to see in that little period of when Justin Fields, right before he got hurt and everything there, how special DJ Moore is. You know, and now right now it, it's not quite the same. And, you know, you got a rookie quarterback and they got the training wheels on a little bit and all that. But DJ Moore is the guy I look at to go like he's one of the best receivers on football. And here he is for the second time in his life stuck in a pretty bad situation where the team can't even accentuate or show us all his talents because they're not good enough to support him and, and let it all show. So I'll go with him. I'm going to go with uh, the same one that Evan Edmonston went with, Most Entertaining Player Award. 
period for him is Sam Howell. Yeah. I'm not sure how good he is, but he is sure is a blast to watch. He takes a lot of sacks, so he that's does. kind of exciting yep. for if you're watching uh, against him in your defense. Sometimes he breaks those tackles and throws a 20-yard completion, and it's fun, it is fun to watch. But he just seems to to process pretty well. He seems to know where to to throw the ball, anticipate really well. He's got a lot of good weapons yeah. over there. I, I enjoy watching him to the point where I'm like, man, if he was on a really, really good system, which I'm not totally sure he's not in, yeah, a, right. in a good environment right. for a quarterback, I was like, I think he'd be in the top 10-ish potentially in his career quarterback I don't know. I, I think he has that talent. He's got some – his high-end talents, it is real. His ability to throw the ball down the field and make explosive plays with his arm and hang in the pocket with people around him and make big plays, it's damn good. It is towards the top of football in that department, right? It is holding the ball too long at times, not knowing where to throw it away, you know, not patting the ball two extra times going, wait, he's not going to come open. He's covered. There's two guys on him. Check the ball down and let's get to second and five instead of being in second and 25 because now you took a 15-yard sack patting the ball 17 times waiting for Terry McLaurin to get open, right? right? But that's part of the fun. To your point, that's why you're entertained by it, you know. And he is always looking for the big shot. If there was a part of his game that needs to get better, you know, is the it's the short passing game. It's the intermediate yeah. passing game. It's a, kind of a long, deliberate release. And we've talked about this with other quarterbacks. And think about it when you talk about with Sam Howell here, right? You know, he doesn't really do sidearm or anything like that. So short game, shallow three-step mm. drop or shallow crosses or things like that, that to me, because he's so robotical and over the top with his motion, is one of the areas that he's got to work on this offseason and working about, hey, let me find a lane here. Let me flick it with my wrist instead of having to go through this huge windup every time. And that shouldn't be a That's huge fix. He should be able to do it. But I, I don't disagree with you that he's fun to watch and exciting every week. They should do that. He should get together with, what, Jalen Hurts, and they just all well, offseason, they're about, just throwing right? off platform right. sidearm. It's like you, this whole offseason, do not throw the ball over your head. They're just they're, there's, there's four or five completions in every game where you look at the great quarterbacks and go, wow, that's unbelievable. He threw it sidearm and got that done there. And you see other quarterbacks who don't have that. You know, where one, they might not even attempt it, or two, you know, it gets, ends up getting batted down or whatever else because people see it coming and they can't flick it or just sidearm it and get it out of their hand that way. Sammy Lambert yeah. says, bad but fun team to watch. Yeah. Uh, Colts, he right. said, putting up points on good defenses. So six of the Colts' nine games have gone over the over-under total. It's tied with the Bears for the highest percentage of the season. I would agree. I think I didn't 100%. know how percent. Well, here's the thing. If you told me the Colts are going to be exciting this year, I'd be like, okay, that makes sense because Anthony Richardson is going to be super fun to watch. <laughs> right, right. He hasn't played no. hardly at all, and he's out for the rest of the year. And they're still exciting to watch with a coach that I know you think is a rising star that, in the game. That, to me, is what it is, right? It's Shane Steichen. Again, they're doing this with, one, they didn't have Jonathan Taylor for five or six weeks, right? And then, two, without a star receiver, right? I mean, I, Michael Pittman Jr. I played with his dad. Ultimate respect, really awesome NFL starting receiver. Not a number one superstar receiver. In your perfect world, you want Michael Pittman Jr. to be your number two, right? So they're doing it without a game-breaker at that position. Him and Alec Pierce are both like – 
you know, Pittman a little bit better, certainly, but the same guy kind of like can do everything you want at a receiver position, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily going to beat you deep for a 70-yard bomb or catch a slant and break a tackle and go for 70 yards that way. You know, they're kind of total complete receivers. They block in the run game. They're good route runners. They're tough over the middle. They can beat you deep, but it's not how they're going to make their money on a consistent basis, right? Right. All that. They're well-rounded, and that, to me, the point you made is, is the point. Shane Steichen why they're exciting is because he comes up with plays and game plans that are you know, outside the box, and, and it, it leads to exciting plays on the offensive side of the ball. And I'm not totally sure they can't be a playoff team or in that conversation. I, they're not until, out of it yet. They're 4-5 and five right now. I, I know. They're 4-5. and five. I mean, you know, the, the, the last spot there, what, what they got to hope is that, to me, like teams like that, they got to hope – Cleveland, I mean, Cincinnati just continues to win. Get them out of the picture. And they need to hope that, like, Cincinnati and Baltimore beat up on Pittsburgh and Cleveland and knock those teams down to where now maybe they have a fighting chance to jump into this. So the disappointing thing with the Colts has been their defense this year. Their defense has been bad. Right, if their defense played to the cap- or to the capacity it did last year or the year before with this offense, you know, I would go, ooh, they're dangerous. But their defense letting up a lot of big plays, certainly not the same. And we'll see where this goes. But yeah, they're they're going to be a pain in the ass because you know, they're a team that they can lose to the teams they're supposed to beat, but they can also beat the teams that they're not supposed to beat, aka having Cleveland, you know. You know, in big trouble, right? Or yep. or beating Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore. So that's where you know they're they're a juggernaut that way. I love this next award. Yeah, thanks to Eleven Jordan Cole, he goes the Cheeks to Freaks Award. So this is someone who was cheeks. So was they booty cheeks. They, yeah, I guess in that's the what they were saying. I know when yeah. I first I was like, what? I don't get a cheek. And I was like, oh, ass. Yeah. <laughs> They were they were ass yeah. and now they're awesome and that's a little harsh. Maybe they just improved. Ass to awesome yeah. award. I don't want to say that any of these people were that, um, but they've improved and now now they're popping. And maybe in the past you're like you just thought they were a guy, yeah. And now they're a guy, yeah. Uh, he suggests Alex Anzalone from my Detroit well, Lions. I, I hear you there. That, I hear you there. You you heard one. me. We did a breakdown last year at one point when Detroit played the Carolina Panthers, and remember they ran for all, the Carolina Panthers ran for all those yards. And mm-hmm. I remember I came back and I was like, it wasn't the D tackles' faults. Yeah. It wasn't their fault. I said the DNs and the linebackers really messed up a lot of plays. Right? Alex Anzalone last year did struggle. That's a very good one by our at eleven Jordan Cole. So mm-hmm. I like that. That's what we're looking for. There's a few here that I look at. I think if I was just going to take one, mm-hmm. okay, and I saw Pete put this in the in the doc or early yesterday, yep. but but I agree with it, and I'm going to piggyback off it. Is Quincy Williams? Quincy Williams, Quinnen Williams' brother, linebacker for the 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 New York Jets. I mean, the Jets were brilliant in signing him to a three year, eighteen million dollar deal because you could kind of see it last year at the end of the year start to go. This fucking guy is everywhere. And it's only continued this year. I mean, he is definitely one of the best linebackers in football. Like, one of the best in football. And the speed, the explosiveness, and then the instincts on top of that, I think if you're going to make me pick one guy that kind of came out of nowhere to where I go, no, 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 now he's one of the best at his position in all of football, Quincy Williams would get my award. All right? Another guy I'd love to give love to, Josh Sweat of the Philadelphia Eagles. Right? Eagles got so many damn good players. Mm-hmm. We usually don't mention him, 
You know, we go to, you know, Darius Slay and Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis and Fletcher Cox and Hassan Reddick. And then you get to Josh Sweat. And Josh Sweat's really probably having the best year of all of them as far as rushing the passer, right? So that's one that I, I certainly would love to give a little love to there. And then one more I'll throw on is Kayvon Thibodeau. Whoa. Right? He's been better than I ever expected this year. It's not perfect. His sacks are inflated. All right. A lot of his, you know, not a lot of them, but there's a good amount that, of course, with Wink Martindale and how creative he is, he sets Kayvon Thibodeau up for success. But Thibodeau in the run game plays hard. And, you know, at the end of the day, it still is eight and a half sacks. And he is around the quarterback and had some big plays and some big moments to where he's played better than I would have thought he did. And so I'll say that. Which is interesting because Pete noted that PFF is actually yeah. down on him yeah. this year. And so you could have taken a victory lap if you so chose. But this yeah, is how I don't complicated, think it's this is how complicated I, it you is. are. And I think it's, it's, it's hard with the Giants' defense at times yeah. because they're so crazy and exotic to know all the rules in which they're doing at times. And I think that's where you got to be careful a little with, with some of these grading these defensive guys, especially in a defense like Winks, where there's a lot of moving parts, and we look at it and we go, oh, he should be setting the edge, but they might have a call where, no, you shoot inside and somebody else is responsible for the edge, whatever that may be. You know, yeah. Is it fifth pick of the draft good? No, it's still not that, but it's better than, than – than I thought. That's what I'll say. Let me throw a guy who wasn't yeah. Cheeks, right. but I think he wasn't necessarily living up to the hype that we thought he could be, especially in the environment he was in. Yeah. Brandon Ayuk, the yeah. wide receiver from okay. the 49ers. Right. I feel like there's times this year where you watch him and you go, wow, if you have a decision, if you can't pay both of them or have both of them on your team, Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, you might be able to get by with just Brandon Ayuk. And I don't know if I would have said that a year ago. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you're as high on him as, as I might be, but it seems like at times he's like, that could be a number one receiver I, in the I, league. I don't disagree with you there. I don't. I'll be interested to, to see if they can, they can keep him. Because mm. not that I think he'll get top of the market money at the wide receiver position, but he's going to get that, you know, next group down of the guys that are like five, six, seven, eight, nine on their list. It's going to be in that category. And, you know, again, how many guys can you pay top five or top six in football at your position on one football team? They got quite a few already in San Francisco. Right. So, but, yeah, play's been good. I think it's his best year of his career so far, motivated by the contract. You know, the fact that they've had a focus on him a little bit because Debo's been out I think has only helped him as well. And he's got a quarterback who can push the ball down the field and it fits him a little bit more than maybe – you know, the other guys with Jimmy Garoppolo and other quarterbacks, he doesn't throw the ball down the field. We talked about that. So Debo over the middle, everything was yeah. for that. And outside, and right? Yes, they were not showing outside right. the numbers. And Purdy's yeah. willing to throw the ball down the field and outside the numbers, and that, you know, suits Brandon Ayuk a lot more and fits his game that way. Cool. All right, yeah. let's go to the real awards. Who's yeah. real out there? And we the do like real. to do this, like the teams that have uh, a real chance yeah. at winning the Super Bowl. Right. Um, this is more of a discussion, Pete notes here, than an award. So yeah. if you go, this is not an award, so this shouldn't be in this section, we know that. Yeah. All right? So don't, right. don't email us. <laughs> As Nick Saban would say, quit asking about yeah. it. Um, so let's go through the teams here. Pull yeah. up the teams. Like, who, who do you think has a I love real this. shot? I got a little feel for this already because I always think about this a little, you know, because this is something we've done throughout the years, you and I working together. 
right? Teams that you look at and go, okay, like I know they can get in the playoffs and all that, but they can they actually go to the Super Bowl? Yeah. That's a whole different level of a team as compared to, oh, we snuck in the wild card, right? Last year, the Giants snuck in the wild card. They played a team that was a Super Bowl team, and they didn't even look like they belonged on the same fucking field as them, right? And that goes with the Vikings, who we did say last year Correct. are not a team that can win the Super Bowl, even if they are 13-4, and four, right? And they didn't even look like they should be on the same field with the Giants, who couldn't even be on the same field as the Eagles. So that's where we're talking about this. This is where it's fun. And the AFC, hmm. there's seven teams in the playoffs right now. I'm going to say six of them can go to the Super Bowl. Okay. That's a high number for me. I'm usually like, eh, 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 eh. okay. Let so me, I'm going to look hmm. at out of the seven teams. I know the team that you You say. know it. It's, it's Kansas City, Baltimore, Jacksonville, Miami, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Cincinnati. So Pittsburgh can't. Uh, Pittsburgh can't go to the Super Bowl. There's no way. You think any of those other teams could? I think the other teams. Now, I would say Kansas City, Baltimore, Jacksonville, and Cincinnati are clearly my four top ones there, right? Mm-hmm. Miami, I'm a little skeptical about, but still. You know, there's still too much talent on that team for me to go, eh, right? And I still think they're getting used to the Vic Fangio system on D, so there's still that little adjustment there. Jalen Ramsey just getting back healthy, all that. And then even Cleveland, where I'm putting at the bottom of this a little bit, but I still, if with that defense, and if we're sitting here four weeks from now starting to go, man, Deshaun Watson is kind of lighting it up every week, I'm going to go, yeah, they're fucking can win the Super Bowl, right? So I can't cancel them out. I can't. And Watson's shown us little glimmers of him maybe being the Deshaun Watson we remember, and that could come here soon, especially if he could just stay on the field and stay healthy. So that would be the ones I would say in the AFC. You got any other agreement, disagreement with me there? I really don't. So you would would say that all the non-playoff teams right now, you'd be very, very surprised, if not downright shocked, if they made the Super Bowl. And that includes currently, at the moment, the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, I, I would be shocked. I would be shocked. Can Buffalo get to the playoffs? Of course. Can Buffalo win a playoff game? Sure. But I don't think it's going to go much farther than that. I think it would have to be, for them to win two playoff games, I think something would have to happen. Some sort of upset. Somebody gets injured for a team they're about to play that really balances things out into their favor or whatever else. So, yeah, I don't. And you know me. I'm a guy that a lot of years has looked at these type of things and go, hey, this team that's number number 10 or number 7 yeah. or 8 on the list, they could still go to the Super Bowl and do that. I just don't see it this year. I think we kind of know what we know. This is a different year. I don't think there's going to be like dark horses that come out of nowhere late in the year yeah. like we've seen in some other seasons. All right, over to the NFC. Yeah. You got the Detroit Lions you put in automatically. Mm-hmm. Got to believe in them now. I do. I do. I, the NFC, it's not a whole lot different from what we just talked about with the AFC. Okay, the 49ers and the Eagles, clearly. The Detroit Lions, yes. Of course putting them in that, in that conversation. The Dallas Cowboys are in that conversation. Yeah. So it's those four for sure. For sure. The only one I teeter about a little bit is the Seattle Seahawks, right? I mean, if you made me... Bet money, I'd go, I don't think they're going to the Super Bowl. No. But I'm not willing to come out here and not put them on the list as of right now. I'm not. There's just too many good freaking players on the team that they scare me. All right? And, you know, they are a team that you know, defensively usually gets better as the year goes along. Uh, and then I want to see, 
you know, the offensive line, get healthy, see where that goes before I make this final judgment. But I am definitely worried about Seattle in that conversation, especially with the, the way the offense has looked at times, like we've talked about many a times on Sunday nights. They're too good to have these stagnant games or periods of the game where you go, damn, it's two quarters. They haven't done shit on that side of the ball. Yeah. That can't go on, so I am a little worried in that aspect. New Orleans and Minnesota, both playoff teams no. currently. But no. it's so funny with Minnesota, though. Five and four, you talked about them it's already. Amazing. It's just like you. I feel like you have way more respect for him this year than you did last year. I do. I really do. You know, like I said, I think if you take away their disease of fumbles early on in the year, we're looking at a team that's probably like seven and two, you know, six and three at the worst, really. And uh, the offense, I think, you know, with Kirk Cousins was functioning at the highest level we'd ever seen. It It was better than last year, actually, consistently through games. And then the defense has definitely given them a fighting chance. And let's not forget, that second week of the year, they were toe-to-toe with Philadelphia there for a while. Yeah. They kind of messed it up, you know, with a number of penalties, fumbles, whatever else. And uh, But, yeah, I'm not willing to say Super Bowl is in their future. All right, let's look at a couple of uh, graphics here that kind of tell the story. So last year at this time, yeah. through week nine, right. here were the records of the teams who eventually yeah. made the playoffs. This right. is really uh, informative because right. – there were only two with a losing record, which may be more than you would even think at this point. The Jaguars were 3-6, and six, of course, helped a little bit by the division there. Yeah. They get into the playoffs. Yep. And when they got game. hot at the end of the year, right? Uh, Buccaneers were 4-5. and five. They yeah. get into the playoffs. But again, that's, that's the division. Um, so for the most part, unless you're in a crap division, you better have a winning record at this point. The 49ers were 4-4 four and four and then started playing a whole lot better after that and getting a whole lot more wins. But a lot of 6-2s, 7-1s, 6-3s, 8-0. You got to be. You got to be good at this point. It's starting to. It's starting to become clear. That that's where I think it is, and that's why I think it was good. We just did that exercise. I, I think it is clear, and I think this is a year where I look at it and go, I don't see that team this year. I don't see that team that's like Jacksonville. Uh, you we were saying it last year, right? I mean, you know, I was saying it early on in the year. Yeah. I kept picking them to win. They kept losing. I was going, man. I guess I'm going to be wrong about that. Yeah. But you know, they were a team. And even Cincinnati the year before that, where we we prefaced it before they went on their run to go, I we see things about their team that are elite and that they can mess with the big boys a little bit and really make some waves and maybe disrupt the whole playoff system. And looked at them and went, I don't see a lot of flaws with their football team or anywhere you can go, ooh, they're really at a disadvantage there. So I kind of saw that coming with Jacksonville a little last year or Cincinnati the year before. I don't see anybody really in that category this year the only one that i kind of look at right i just would go dark horse that all right is the atlanta falcons they're sitting there at four and five yeah right their o-line has not played up to its potential this year yet the running game hasn't gone going the way it is i think some of that is the quarterback play like we've talked about but with that defense and then if the offense can get going they are the one team that i think i look at in all of this to go okay they got a losing record but i could see them you know still getting in the playoffs and maybe getting the playoffs and being really a pain in the butt once they get in there but not a super bowl team Tennessee at three and five. You will Levis there now. Mike yeah. Vrabel figures out a way. They pull off a Steelers type, you know, end of That's the season. That's how they would do, right? They're, you know, they're, they're scary that way. I'm not willing to put them there, but but I totally hear your point there all the way. DraftKings gives us our Leader House Awards. Oh, I love these awards. I, I love I, it. We're, this is going to be a long podcast. The Leader House Awards. Uh, so let's spend some time talking about the DraftKings favorite to win each division. So a shock to maybe no one out there who has been. 
watching the Lions all season long and watching the rest of the division struggle, although the Vikings playing better lately. They are the favorite of all favorites to win their division, minus 1,100 to win their division. The Chiefs are minus 900 to win their division. The Eagles are minus 550 to win their division. So this speaks to both the quality of the team that we're talking about and the quality of every other team in their division. But the Lions are the most likely division winner. This is a crazy year. I knew 2023 was going to be weird. I didn't anticipate it being this weird. Well, I think the top three are all, to me, safe bets. I do. I think the one I look at to go, I think it should be up there a little bit more, is the Jaguars. Mm -hmm. The Jaguars would be the other one if you're looking for more of like a value bet or whatever that would be the one i would look at. i agree with that because i guess maybe they have some faith in houston or I, i'm guessing that's what I it is I, a little bit i just right? houston did beat houston them beat them in, okay. and in jacksonville so i i get that i just made the case for tennessee but yeah <laughs> yeah but but i i look at it you know I, I i still think the lions are the team i would probably look at to be the team that i would most likely bet on there you can't trust anybody you know from the afc north that's too damn good of a conference uh the afc east is getting there, but I still can't just say, oh, the Dolphins over the Bills for sure, right? I mean, i got to see the Dolphins beat some quality teams first before I say that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I really kind of look and like that top four for sure. I think those are the ones. I just think the Jaguars are a little more underrated in this than they should be. Yeah, I agree. The top three, I mean, no one's catching the Chiefs out in the West. And I don't expect Dallas to catch the Eagles. I know there's more of a chance of that happening because Dallas is really talented. Philly's got some tough games on the horizon, but I still expect them to win the division. Don't forget, on DraftKings Sportsbook this season, new customers can bet $5 and pocket $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, all customers can get a no-sweat, same-gay parlay every day. Download the app and use the promo code UNBUTTON when you sign up. DraftKings Sportsbook. The crown is yours. It's like we kind of did some inflection that time, which made it even better. Uh, So Coach of the Year and Mm. my guy, according to DraftKings right now, Dan Campbell. So if they win the division, which they are the most likely division winner, as we just said, I think it's a slam dunk. I, I honestly think the Detroit Lions winning the division, which that hasn't happened, I don't know, since the 90s, I think I, I honestly think he should be more of a favorite. Yeah, well, I, I, I think he is the favorite. I do. Yeah, Detroit, the story, right? There actually was expectations. They're delivering. I think all of those, you know, I, I, think, he's, I think he's the guy to look at there for sure. I, would, uh, I, I think that's it's plus 180, so you're still getting some – I mean, I, I don't gamble, as you know. I'm not a gambler. Yeah. But this is one where I feel like, because Pete said in my ear, it's like they were expected to win. And oftentimes this award goes to the team that makes a huge jump that wasn't expected to. I know. But I think the story of the Lions for yeah. so long. I think that's what that plays into this. Yeah. Right. He, cha- he is part of the reason they are expected. He is the main reason they, are, they were ex- had the expectations going into the year anyways. He kind of flipped things around last year, right, and got it going that way. And so that's where, you know, I think it's worthy. I know they had the expectations of that already. I get it. I know what Pete's saying there, too. But to deliver and show yourself for most weeks of being one of the better teams in the NFC, you know, I I think he is worthy of that. To me, the next one, Mike McDaniel is the other one that I wrote down on my thing. I I know they haven't beat great teams, but, like, we're still seeing – revolutionary things on the offensive side of the ball from Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins. They are still six and three and they're, 
you know, got the leading quarterback in football, the leading offense in football, the most big plays. I mean, you go through just about every statistical thing in football on the offensive side of the ball, the Miami Dolphins are leading at, and Mike McDaniel's the one calling the plays and orchestrating all of it. So I have a hard time thinking why he's not a little bit higher up in the odds or a little closer yeah. in all of this. He he would be that those two to me are clearly the favorite right now. I do think D'Amico Ryan's the third choice right now. They're four and four. Yeah. If CJ Stroud continues sure. this upward trajectory and yeah. They somehow win that division and look like a solid. If they can win the team. division, that'll make me think a whole different thing. Agreed. I don't think you. I don't think you get coach of the year for going like ah, they were better than we thought. They went eight and nine. You know that, that to me does not merit coach of the year status, uh, and merits a good pat on the back and everybody telling you how yeah. damn good you are, but not coach of the year. Pete makes a good point about Kevin O'Connell. Perhaps if they can, yes, you know, somehow one somehow win the division. For. So right. still uh, yet to be determined there. The Ahmed's red. Wait, this is from Ahmed's red pants. There's a Twitter out there that's called Ahmed's red pants. Yes, there is a homie for sure. We love you. Uh, the how the f do we have a winning record award goes to Mike Tomlin, and that's really the travesty of this whole thing because you know how much I like Mike Tomlin, yeah. and I think it's it's outrageous that he has never won a coach of the year award. And if he gets him in the playoffs this year, even I will be the one that's like, no, still it's Dan Campbell's award. It's it's pretty crazy. It really is, actually, when you think about it. He's been there that long, never had a losing record, you know, been to the Super Bowl twice, won it once, and has never won Coach of the Year. In fact, it doesn't even feel like he's even come close. That's, that's what's weird. I know. Um, but doing an awesome job. The problem with that is that they're winning because of his culture and his toughness and everything he instills on the defense. They're also pain to watch because he hired the offensive coordinator and this is the guy he believes in. So that's a, that's a major problem. And, you know, half the, half the Steelers fan base thinks he's the greatest thing ever because they keep winning this way. The other half wants him fired because he hired Matt Canada. So it's kind of crazy. All right. We got to get to the film review here in a second. So let's rip through a couple of these other awards here that I think are interesting. The uh, top pick power ranking awards. We used to do that. Who was, you know, in the leader house to get the number one pick yep. here and get perhaps Caleb Williams or Drake May, who I think is going to get a lot of love maybe as we get closer to the draft season. Uh, Kyle Vert 53 calls this the how about the damn not okay <laughs> award <laughs> and give that to the Giants. Yeah. We right now have the fourth worst record and would have the number four pick in the draft right now. The Bears would have number two and three via their trade with Carolina last year. The Cardinals would have that number one pick right now, although that could change if Kyler Murray plays and starts balling out yeah this is um you know still something i'm kind of trying to digest i I don't have any great answers for you here i think there's just a lot of info to still be gathered here in this total conversation i think that's where it becomes hard cardinals yeah i think the kyle murray thing where it goes all that how he looks how do they like him how does he digest their new offense how does he work with the pieces they have there and how they see the vision of that offense looking I think that's still yet to be, you know, heard, told, whatever here. So I'd like to see where that goes here, right? I'm not ready to sit here quite yet and go, oh, they're definitely going to pick quarterback one. I'm I'm not ready, you know. And, of course, Kyler Murray's play and what he does in the football field doesn't have a lot of say. The the Chicago Bears have picked two and three. I think it's another one where – I'm not ready to sit here to say they're definitely do, definitely should do quarterback. I mean, man, that's where it stinks that Justin Fields got hurt. It kind of seemed like he was starting to show us, like, hey, I'm turning the corner. Look at how I'm throwing the ball and making plays in the pocket here. So that's one where, as an analyst, it's hard to get a feel for. Uh, that's one where 
How do they feel about him in the building? How do they feel about, you know, his ability to handle all the offenses and make all the throws we know you need to make and do it on a consistent basis? How do they feel about that? And then you look at the Giants and you go, well, they got Daniel Jones next year, whether they like it or not. They can't get rid of him. Now, you know, the day of him being maybe the, like, just, hey, you're the starter, here's the red carpet, I think that's probably done. I think they're probably going to even bring in another backup that's going to challenge him or at least be a big insurance policy because injuries have crept up on this guy here the last few years. So that's where it's really going to be a great conversation the last part of the season here to kind of figure out and let this quarterback thing kind of – filter out so to to see what direction it all goes pete just wants to hear these words yeah the giants select caleb williams with the number one pick in the draft (laughs) Uh, that 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 could be a possibility and i think the giants fans probably are are intrigued by that possibility even though i don't think they should give up quite as easily on daniel jones as as maybe they want want to uh, but, yeah, that, it's going to be interesting to see where this all goes. I will say, out of this list and what we looked at here, teams that most desperately need a top-two pick or a, a, a big-time quarterback, to me the ones I look at on this list, if you're watching on our YouTube page, is number six, the Rams, okay? And number mm, – and depending where it goes, maybe the number eight Buccaneers. And mm. it's not really necessarily an indictment on Baker Mayfield. It's just where I feel like their teams are going in general. Yeah. The Rams, Matthew Stafford's still really good. They're just young and still kind of like in a rebuilding process. They're going to continue to get younger. And Do you want an older veteran beat-up type quarterback leading that group into the future? Or would you rather maybe get some trade compensation for him and then start building a young nucleus around your young quarterback who you draft. Those are things that I think mm-hmm. of there. And kind of the same thing with the Bucks, The Bucks, the Mike Evans, the Chris Godwin, all of that. I think the shelf life of that offense is kind of coming to an end here to where I could see them going, wait, we'll keep Baker Mayfield and get younger on offense. Or they could just go, let's just blow it up. Baker can go be a starter somewhere else, a bridge quarterback or maybe a solidified starter, and we can just start over all the way new blank canvas and start to formulate a new young core group of guys on the offensive side of the ball there too. This is going to be a pretty fascinating yes, draft. Yes, I know. Between all the be quarterbacks, some of these of questions we have is very interesting. Some good high-skill players. Some, right. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be yeah, Marvin Harrison Jr. for Ohio State. It's going to be, it's going to be a good – a good year, yeah. Potentially that the Bears get. Why is like Michael Penix Junior. not thrown into this a little bit more? As far as like, yeah. I feel like you know, again, not that I'm all in on college football every Saturday, yeah. but it, I feel like it's just always Caleb Williams and Drake May from yep. whoever I watch. Yeah, I think the age thing the is age start, thing you know, he's 25. Injury he, thing he is hurting him. Yeah, maybe a little okay. bit, but right. yeah, yeah, I don't all know. Right. It's. It's going to be fun. Fun. It's a tease for our March podcast. Subscribe right now. Leave a comment if you would. Let's go fast through these. Other homies awards that they uh, gave us, creative awards that we liked. Andy McDonald said the I'm glad I called that guy award from Billy Madison. That's a line from Billy glad, Madison. Oh, I know. I'm assuming. I'm glad I called that guy. Okay. Right. Antonio Pierce for the Raiders, who yeah. seems to have instantly changed the culture and the Definitely. attitude. And the results on the field, too. Yeah. How would you say this next name here? Um, at Eisen Lucid, 
lucid DU1. Exactly. Uh, zero actual championship hopes despite impressively legit Super Bowl offseason nomination, the New York Jets. <laughs> yes, that sounds like a bitter Jets fan. Welcome yes. to the podcast. Um, I, although I do think, like, in this alternate reality where yeah. Aaron Rodgers doesn't get hurt, right. there is a, I don't know, I would put it at a likely chance, over 50% chance. There's a lot of similar struggles on that offense. Agreed. Agreed. I don't, you know, would they be better? Of course they would be. Like, I feel like people think that they'd be like a top 10 offense of Aaron Rodgers in there. And I want to go, uh, absolutely fucking not. No. You have one receiver who can separate in Garrett Wilson. And then you have an offensive line that is definitely in the bottom quarter of football. And that is not conducive to a quarterback who does not want to hold the ball and wait for people to come open downfield the last three seasons, and now you think he's going to do it in this game with this team? Absolutely not. Mehmet305 says the one swallow does not make a summer award. Goes to Geno Smith. He's struggling really bad so far and have, yeah. after having a great season last year. Yeah, he definitely is. It's, it's gonna, he's, his stretch run here is going to be very interesting. In fact, I feel like we might be getting to the point, too, if he doesn't start playing better and the offense doesn't start playing better, and if he has a bad two or three games in a row, he might the, the Drew Locke conversation might start. So mm. he's certainly got to pick it up a little. And Cheese Curd 19 says the rudderless award for the offense or defense that's drifting around without a good plan. I nominate the Packers offense. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say so. And then that goes back to the quarterback conversation like we talked about. You know, they, they got such training wheels on, on him that it is hurting the rest of the offense. And then I think the injuries at running back and the O-line being bagged up, banged up also added to that conversation. Yeah. Right? So that hurt them. The Raiders' offense is certainly one that you could throw in there with that. The Pittsburgh Steelers' offense is another one you could throw in there with that, that same rudderless approach. You know, uh, Defensively, you can get into the Bucks and the Chargers and some of those teams that certainly seem like they've lost their way a little bit on that side of the ball. So there's a few out there. Magnet 24 QB says, who wins the Ahmed's Red Pants Award for the best rookie big butt so so far? Great segue. Let's hit the song. (laughs) Boom. It is that time. Big butts and we cannot lie. The big butt of the week. Time to give some love to these big guys. Some touches. There's a couple sacks, forced fumble. He's a butt-ting superstar. Give it to him, Ahmed. One butt cheap. And this is why you're the big butt expert of the world right now. <laughs> so I will go with Jalen Carter for my rookie Woo! defensive tackle, big butt, as we've talked about him previously in the podcast yep. for that discussion. Yep. Rewind. Uh, on the edge, yeah. I might have to go with Will Anderson with what he's done on the edge for Houston. Out of the rookies, yeah. yeah. Out of the rookies. Yeah, yeah right. out of the rookies so far. Yeah. He's, I, he's I been a surprise He's I been think a surprise that's fair to, to say. Yes. I think he's been the best edge player none of the other rookie first rounders as far as edge guys nobody's played to his capabilities yet nobody has you know i I don't think tyree wilson for texas you know from texas tech or the raiders he's coming on a little coming on he's finally just finally getting healthy he could end the season there there was a few plays from the other night that i looked at and i went ooh. 
that was the guy I remembered on film there. I saw him get off the ball, turn the corner a few times, so maybe that's happened. But, yeah, no, I think that uh, you're, you're picking the right guy as far as edge guys for sure. Byron Young for the Rams has played a ton. Really damn good. The kid uh, Hall for Derek Hall for the Seattle Seahawks has his moments every game. Um, you know, Keon White with the Patriots early on was popping a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think you're right in Will Anderson. They got something going there. Uh, but for this week, defensive tackle, big butt of the week award for week number nine. I'm going with the Colts to force Buckner. Five pressures, had a sack, a quarterback hit, led all defensive tackles with two batted passes. And most of the game, he did it while being double teamed. Yeah. He had a monster, monster game versus Carolina. He, he unfortunately right now is the only guy that is popping Back to our Colts being a little disappointing on that side of the ball on their front seven on a consistent basis. You know, no matter what game it is and what I, when I've watched the Colts on film this year, he is the one guy that stands out. Darius Leonard, don't hear much about him. Doesn't look like the same guy ever since he got back from the back injury. And, yeah, there's nobody else that's a difference maker that makes you game plan for anything on the Colts D-line. So that's why he's facing all those damn double teams. At the edge... I'm going with the Steelers. Alex Highsmith led all edge with 10 pressures, according to PFF. He just destroyed Andre Dillard for Tennessee the entire game. Yes, he did. It's his seventh game with at least seven pressures this year. That is tied with Micah Parsons for most in the NFL. Damn, that's impressive. Consistent. Consistent He is. He's a consistent game wrecker. Physical presence. I mean, again, the Steelers, their ability to find edge defenders and wide receivers is second to none. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is. It's, it's amazing. And, you know, this is a guy that, you know, they saw pieces or the, the ability to mold him into something that they felt like, ooh, we can make him a difference maker. And it's just a little every year. It's just been better and better. And last year you started to go, whoa, this is like truly like you're becoming a guy that you got to think about in your game plan now. You can't just go, oh, the other guy opposite of T.J. Watt. It's like, no, no, the other guy opposite of T.J. Watt can fucking ruin your game just like T.J. Watt can almost. So you better be careful there. Uh, they got a great pass rushing duo there in Pittsburgh. So there it is, DeForest Buckner and Alex Highsmith. Week 9, Kristen has given us the butts for both of these fine young gentlemen. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Dear listener, please close your eyes for this movie theater meditation brought to you by Fandango. Breathe in. Smell the fresh popcorn. Now exhale. (sighs) Open your eyes and proceed to the best seats in the house you reserved on Fandango. Recline. Now, download the free Fandango app for movie times, tickets, and seats at your favorite theaters. Fandango. 
It's your ticket to the movies. And now we go into the film review. Into the notes. What the F happened, a.k.a. Treasure Hunters. Let's get right into it. Let's Chiefs it. defense versus the Dolphins offense. 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 <laughs> You're from England. That's exactly. Right? It was appropriate. It was a mess up that actually worked out. Um, it was a one touchdown game, but for most of the game, the Dolphins could get nothing going offensively here. So we start out with the most basic question from your deep dive into the film study. How did the Chiefs slow down the greatest show on English turf? All right. So let's like. Let's just let me dive into like my thesis statement, right? Okay. Basically, okay. And here what I would say, and I put on a few, you're going to see a few videos on social media today too. You know, dominate the line of scrimmage, dominate the edge. Great mixture of coverages and fronts. Play two deep coverages for the most part, but not the whole game, right? And different two deep coverages. That's why I say you know it, it's not just like oh Tampa two. It's different versions of things. Tactical when playing man coverage. And and the Chiefs were good when they did play man. And then, of course, the tactical blitzing on first and second down mm. that you hear me talk about with Spags or any team that plays these great offenses, you got to be willing to do it. They have incredible depth, talent, and team speed. They won first and second down throughout the day. you know. And then Dolphins and Tua, as we've talked about too, can you get them to third down? And that's where it was important that the Chiefs won first and second down because they got the Chiefs the third. I mean, the Dolphins the third down. And people go, and I've had a few people go, well, what's that matter? Well, because third down, you don't have to worry about the run game, reverses, the, some of the screen passes. All that goes out the door, especially if it's third and five or plus. So now you can go, let's just play pass coverage and mess with the protections and Tua's mind and reading the coverages and all of that. Let's and, show, and I think I like that's that. where they were really good. Let's show that because I think that's a very interesting graphic. So Miami is top three in almost every offensive category. Right. They're just like lights right. out. But they are 17th in third down conversion uh-huh. rate this year yeah. at 39.6%. Yes. Uh, Miami had one third and short all game long. They just had one all game long, and so they struggled again in that category. So that, that's, that's interesting. A key is first and second down. Because you get them to third down, one – Tua's not a strong-arm quarterback that's always going to be like, hey, everybody knows I'm passing, so I'm going to throw a laser in a tight window, right? That's the first thing. Two, they don't have good pass protection, so therefore you feel like, oh, we could collapse the pocket. And three, Tua's not the best, oh, I'm going to stand in the pocket with the, with the pocket collapsing type of quarterback anyways, let alone, like you said, you don't have to worry about some of the McDaniels tricks. And to me, that was the other part of my thesis statement was don't let the McDaniels, McDaniels special beat you, right? Some of the screens and creative plays that he comes up with. In this game, the only thing that was kind of off the charts creative or whatever that worked for them was a few reverses. Other than mm. that, they couldn't find some of those cheap ways to get explosive plays like they do on most weeks. And again, I think that was another big part of the game uh, and, and, and why the Chiefs won. And, and, you know, and adding on that to, like we said, the first and second down, and I know a part we want to hit on is the, the, the strategic blitzing, right? That's where, like, Spags is special. And you got to be willing to me when you're like you've heard me say, and we've talked about the Dolphins, the Eagles. You got to be willing to take a few chances on first and second down and go. 
I'm going to bring this blitz. I know it might leave this one area voided, but I can't stop everything their offense does on first and second down. So we're going to take a tactical chance. I'm going to call this blitz because if they do this formation or this personnel set that I feel kind of like I got a clue of what they do on the offensive side of the ball, so I'll take a chance. And for this game, it was corner blitzes. Spags is the best corner blitz defensive coordinator in football. Every week he kind of sends a few and when you don't think it. And early on in this football game he sent a few and it got Miami thinking about it, worried about it on the sidelines, and of course got them behind the chains a few times that set up the Chiefs' defense for success. Yeah, per PFF, Kansas City uses the defensive back blitz on 20% of their plays this season. That is third most in the NFL. The Vikings do it a lot. Mm -hmm. I saw this graphic on Brian Flores. is like sending six-man pressures at a 30% clip or something Well, because I know he's got some of the same beliefs I'm talking about. He's going, I don't care how perfectly I coach our defense with some of these offenses right now, you can't be right or sound with everything they're doing to you. So you got to turn the tables and force the, put the pressure on them a little bit and go, I'm doing this today. What are you going to adjust to it? Because this is going to fuck some plays up by you, and you better adjust off it or not call some of these plays. And I think that's where it's great. And the other thing I think where they both realize as Spags or Flores is – where they've stopped this, oh, you want to bring your receiver in tight so we can't jam him, or now he can use the natural pick? Well, we're gonna, you want to bring our corner closer? Well, we're going to put our corner up there to jam him. We don't care that he might get picked a little bit, and we might blitz him from time to time. And you don't know when he's coming, and it's going to mess up some of your plays, and I think that's the reason they do it. The Dolphins do a lot of those tight splits, and that's when it invited the Chiefs to kind of be daring and bring those blitzes. New England's another team that pressure and sends that corner blitz. Same quite type a bit. of thing, I'm sure. Right. So right. in this game, four of the nine plays in the fourth quarter, the Kansas City Chiefs blitzed their defensive back. And so they really amped it up in the fourth quarter as this game went on. And I think we have some screenshots uh, of this two for Tua, especially. I think this was, what, five minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Um, Pete, do we have these screenshots? Okay, yep. Hold on. Okay. Uh, we'll play elevator music. Oh, there it is. Oh, and we've boxed in the people. Well done. Well done here. Here, Pete, Kristen, Gabby, and crew. Yes. Yeah. No, and this is, um, this is fourth Five quarter, right? Go, Five fourth minutes to go, fourth quarter. And, you know, that they're, they're great at, and throughout the day, they did send some five-man pressures, right? The Chiefs, and, and before we show the next picture, let me just lay this out there, Pete, a little bit. You know, the Chiefs are great at blitz one, drop one. Blitz two, drop one, right? So, you know, and then they have people standing in, in the line of scrimmage so they confuse your protection schemes. Spagnola is the best at exposing protection schemes in all of football. Added to the fact that they can be emboldened by blitzing and doing that because they can play man-to-man. They're one of the few teams, like we talked about the Eagles versus the Dolphins a few weeks ago. One, have size, right, to mess up with their offensive line. But two, when you turn on the game, most weeks you turn it on and go, man, the Dolphins are so fast. They're so much faster than the other team. And you turn on this game and you go, they're not much, if faster at all, than the Chiefs. And that's kind of how I felt when I watched the Eagles game. It just went, okay, yeah, this is a short pass by Tyreek, but, man, they're corralling him and running him down in a hurry here as a team in the, the back end. And the Chiefs, I would argue, their back seven is as fast as anybody in football, especially mm. when they have Nick Bolton and Willie Gay and they're healthy. So here, let's look at this play. Again, you got to be willing to take some tactical chances against the Dolphins. So it's trips left, a t- receiver tight to the right. It doesn't. From this look right here, Ahmed, a quarterback would not be programmed to think there's 
a blitz here. They got mm. three receivers to the left and only two DBs, right? So you're going, they can't blitz one of the DBs and have one DB covering three receivers? How could that be? So let's go to the next clip here, Pete. And you'll look at it. There's McDuffie at the top of the screen. He's going to come off the edge. Kerlaftis on the bottom of the screen. He goes in and drops back. And now what you got is a four-man rush where now they're – a, a late to adjust to McDuffie coming off the edge, and they've dropped back and played Tampa 2 behind it, right? So they gave the illusion a little bit at snap that it was just going to be this normal four-man rush. Then, then you think, okay, everything's good. You're kind of getting there. You're going, wait, that guy over there can't blitz, so we're good all the way here. Oh, wait, he is blitzing. And then their top pass rusher on their team is dropping back on the other side, and we got people blocking no, nobody on one side, and then we don't even have enough people on the other side. And Tua, who's looking to his right, thinks he's probably okay here because he's going, wait, I got five blockers. They got four rushing. I should be good. But the way it was lined up and the way he, the Spags lines up the defense stresses out that protection, and then there goes Trent McDuffie coming around the edge getting the sack. Should Tua not have looked to the left though, because it seems like they had the number. They were winning the numbers game even even if they didn't. Well, they 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 should have like you. You mean for the concept to the left, yeah, right? You should yeah. have looked at that. Well, the, the play here. He can work both sides. He does have, like, to what he's looking at on the right, that concept is good for this coverage, mm. okay? So it's a cover-two concept where they're trying to high-low Legereus Sneed. The problem, and why he shouldn't look to the left here, the center, left guard, and left tackle all slid left, and they have the two D linemen picked up. They should be able to pick out the third. But Teron Armstead, who hasn't been playing because he's been injured, he was a little late to recognize. And as you can see on this picture right here, was late to bump out to get McDuffie because you could see they got guys on guys. They should be okay. Yeah. It's just they didn't adjust it and see quick enough. That, I mean, there's so many fascinating things here, and I know we've got to move on to the next one. But another one that you've pointed out already a couple of times is the physicality that they – chose to no doubt use on the wide receivers for the Dolphins you stop you can't let Tyreek Hill have free releases right they had some plays where they jammed the shit out of Tyreek Hill like to the point where you go I don't see Tyreek Hill get caught like this at the line of scrimmage right that's where I think the Chiefs comfort of we've practiced against him before mm -hmm. like Legereus Sneed he snuck him a few times and got him but even whether it was zone or man, they challenged him and never really let him have free access releases. He was going to have to adjust and a stutter and try to set you up every time. And we've talked about that in other weeks. You can't just let him fly up on your safety and be like, hey, safety, you got Tyreek Hill flying at you 100 miles per hour, and he can go any way he wants. Good luck covering him. Oh, yeah, you're supposed to cover him. Yeah, good luck. There's no way. So that's where they did a really good job. And you play the Dolphins, get him the third down like we talked about, Stop the edge runs. It's another thing we've talked about. They love the toss cracks. We're going to get the toss crack. We're going to have a receiver or tight end split out, and he's going to block down on your DN and your linebackers, and now we're going to get the edge, and Raheem Mozart's a track star. That, that, the, the good teams stop that. The Eagles, the Chiefs, they blew up those blockers, and they never let them get outside the whole game and basically force them back inside, and then don't let the McDaniel specials, which I call them, beat you, which was the screens, the fumble by Tyree Kill that returned for a touchdown, a 
McDaniel special. But because they're playing aggressive, in-your-face, man-to-man type coverage, two-man on that play, right, they recognize it right away. And you could see from the early on one of the first plays of the game, they try to throw a wide receiver screen. They were so all over it and ready to stop that kind of stuff going on throughout the day because you know once that goes off, you're screwed. Then it's, oh, no, now they're getting 20 yards on screen plays. Now they're faking the screen, and we're all overreacting, and people are downfield doing that. There's just it's, it, it's a snowball of bad things that can happen once you let a little of those few things happen, and they, they did a great job stopping I them. love it. It's why I love when these good teams face off against the other good teams because you really see. You see the flaws, the strengths, exactly. and where they need to fix, or there's an issue, no doubt about it. I, it is the fun part of it. The for Chiefs sure. and Dolphins both on a bye, so maybe Mike McDaniel's got to get back into the lab and figure out an adjustment now that some of these good teams have figured Figured some things out. Uh, Cowboys and Eagles, another one of those matchups where it was good team versus yeah. good team. You took a look at the Cowboys defense against the Eagles offense because I think there's two sides to this coin, too. I think there are some things that you did not like with what the Dallas Cowboys yeah. did in this game, and you'll, you'll get to those. But it also did feel like they had some success against Philadelphia, holding them to under 300 yards, yes. the fewest that the Eagles have had in a game since week one against a New England Patriots team. Yeah, no, it, it, uh, there is a lot to be happy about, proud about if you're the if you're the Dallas Cowboys. Right? We talked about Sunday night and and everything. They they should have the confidence to go, "Wait, if we play this team again, we can beat them," right? Mm-hmm. Um I I guess here's my thing. And again, I don't want this to be taken lightly because like you like you said, they did a lot of good things, all right? But I think, again, if I start with my thesis statement, my problem with the Dallas D is too much lineup in it. Not enough tactical gambles like we just talked about, you know. And the Eagles, more than maybe anybody in football, okay, I know that Dallas wants to play. They want to play confuse you at the line of scrimmage and play aggressive man-to-man. That's usually what they want to do. But they can't do that against Philadelphia because if you play aggressive man-to-man, as we know all the time, sorry, A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith are going to go off on you, right, let alone Dallas Goddard and all that. They played more zone in this football game, more stuff like that, right, okay? And I'm okay with that to a degree, right? But the Eagles, maybe more than anybody in football, have shown that they can go on the longest, most patient drives in the history of the sport. I mean, we've seen 17 play drives, 18 play drives, 14 play drives, 11 play drives. You see it every week from the Philadelphia Eagles. So to think you were just going to go, hey, we're going to kind of keep them in front of us and play simple, and they'll make the mistake, and we'll win the game that way, I don't think you can do that against Philadelphia. You can't. You know, to me, they've proven enough times that they will kill you with the slow death if you play that way. And to me, that's kind of how I felt with this one. That's right. You know, and and, uh, this is to me, you know, one of the reasons the Cowboys can't beat, you know, some of the good teams or the teams that are better than them because uh, they're in a bind because of lack of size on their D line. And then they want to play that way that I just explained, but that's not going to beat the really good teams and really good quarterbacks. And so that's where I worry about them a little bit, you know, in that capacity. Still a really good game plan. I got that. I understand that. I still felt like every time Philadelphia needed to make the drive, they were going to make the drive. That's what I will say. And I know people are going to go, well, what about the end of the game? Okay. Well, the end. All right. So here's the second half. The second half, they go down and score a touchdown. First drive. Second drive, they go down and score another touchdown. 11 play, 87 yard. Now, the third drive is when Dallas got stopped at the half-inch line. 
So they started on their own half-inch line, and they kind of, yeah, that messed up things. The first play was a push-tush just to give them some room. They ran it again to give a little bit more room, so they went three and out. The fourth drive, okay, again, they were up 28-23 with very little time left in the football game, and they were trying to run the clock out, hopefully get a first down and the game's over, you know. They got to a third and three on, on, on that fourth drive, and he threw a go route up the left sideline to A.J. Brown, and he had him, and he threw it out of bounds. But let alone he had the underneath guy for the first down, wide open, right, who he should have thrown to. I believe it was uh, – I want to say it was Zacchaeus, right? You know, so that happened, and then, of course, now they get the ball back with a minute and 15 seconds left, and they are just run the ball three straight times because they're trying to run the clock out with a minute and 17 left. Right. So I didn't necessarily look at those moments and go, oh, the Dallas defense stopped them, right? I look at a little bit as the situation made Philadelphia be a little conservative and not go for it like they normally would, and that played in Dallas's favor. Not, nothing against Dallas that way, but you know that is basically my thesis there of, of uh, Dallas's performance on that side of the ball. I kind of think we're getting to a point where, yeah, if you're even a good defense, you need to do things to make the Eagles uncomfortable because they're almost the most dominant force. Like The time of possession you noted in your notes here, I think they're third in the NFL right now. Exactly. Just, they can quick strike. They can score in two bond. plays or 17 plays. Exactly. Yes, they're you just, have to. Mm-hmm. You know, And this is something we talked about last year, and this is why you heard me gush so much about the Chiefs in the Super Bowl because the Chiefs were the first team that went – we can't stop them. You can't. We're going to have to do some crazy shit to stop them. And they were bringing corner blitzes and all-out blitzes on, like, first and 10 on the Eagles' own 25-yard line, like things you don't ever do, but you have to do to beat them. And that's where I think they need to go back. Not that they got to be crazy, but they just got to make Jalen Hurts and the Eagles' offense think a little bit more. There was way too many plays in this game where it was just like, Break, hey, ready, break. We break the huddle. Oh, it's, it's cover four. They're not moving. They're lining up in it. Set hut. Hey, it's cover four. And the first drive of the second half, it was almost arrogant by the Dallas Cowboys. They played man-to-man six plays in a row. Guess what happened on play six? Bomb touchdown, Devontae Smith. Okay, so that's where, you know, you can't be predictable against them. You got to change it up like we talk about with all the good defenses. You brought it up. So let's go inside the numbers powered by AWS and we'll power up the dots on that exact play that you just mentioned. Jalen Hurts touchdown to Devontae Smith. Perhaps a bad scheme by the Cowboys. What are you doing? You can't keep up with him like that. So here's the numbers on this play, and this was awesome too. Air distance, according to Next Gen Stats, 50 yards through the air. Sideline distance was .5, so that means he was a half a yard from the sideline was Devontae Smith. They calculated the completion probability on this play. 17%. 17%. They said just 17% of the time. That's a completed pass. It was here. And Hertz now has thrown a league-high 16 touchdown passes when targeting go routes since 2022. He's a great go route thrower, right? We've always said that. He's a good deep ball thrower. And then he has two guys that are phenomenal in one-on-one downfield situations, whether it's 50-50 or they can just beat you, right? And this was just an absolute dime, perfect pass. But... Again, they must have been like, wait, they're calling man again? Okay, we got to like send guys on go routes. Enough of this crap. We can't let them get away with this. And the pocket was perfect. As you see, Hertz drops the ball right on the outside shoulder. Devontae Smith does a great job tracking it, catches it. Boom. You can't stop that. And that, to me, again, is why you can't be that predictable that many plays in a row. Dallas's D-line you know, in this game, with their front four, 
pressured Hurts maybe as much as I've ever seen anybody pressure Hurts with just their front four. So that was encouraging. But it still wasn't enough. And that's where, again, you know, the tactical changes, hey, disguising coverages a little bit, hey, we're going to blitz, but then we drop back into the conservative coverages we played. I think they would go a long way as compared to just lining up in it like they did in this football game. And that was Inside the Numbers, powered by AWS. The Eagles are on a bye this week. Man, no one's playing. Who's playing in the NFL this week? Oh, the Cowboys are playing. They take on your Giants. Yikes. Uh, Pete wonders if Don't we should, tune in. If we should pray for Tommy DeVito. Yes, we should. We need to pray for him and his health. We um, do. The, the Cowboys, you come away from this game, yeah. and you liked what Dak Prescott did, yes, I did on the offensive side of the ball, even though you didn't do a deep dive there. Yeah. And the Cowboys, like, if they take some more chances, like they can, they can play with the Eagles. I, they can definitely play with the Eagles. I, I don't think they're ever going to beat the Eagles if the game goes status quo, right? Like... They're not gonna, if the Eagles don't turn the ball over, they're not going to beat Philly. They're not. I just I got to see it to believe it. Philly's phenomenal that way. You know. So to me, yes, they can beat the Eagles, but they got to do one thing extraordinary through the game. Whether it's a strip sack fumble, an interception or something like that. They do need that. If they think we're just going to play for, hey, the game's going to be clean on both sides and we'll just go back and forth at each other, I'm going to take the Eagles to win that kind of matchup every single time. right? They've proven to me that they can win those games. We know that. So, yeah, there's got to be a little something there. I love the way Dak Prescott played. He was phenomenal. He made plays within the system and outside the system, really did it all. I'm going to guess here, yeah. knowing the answer, right. that you liked how the Bengals approached guarding Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills a little bit better than how the Cowboys went about it tactically against the Eagles. The Bengals got the win on Sunday Night Football, seen live on NBC. 24-18 was the final score. So how'd they do it? How'd this Bengals team, you looked at the film, Lou Anaromo, you have a lot of respect for him, too. It's between him and Spags. Who would you put higher? I like They have, like, different styles, right? They're both game plan specific. Spags may be a hair more aggressive, going to send more of those tactical blitzes and all that, right? Lou Anarumo doesn't really want to blitz ever, right? He wants to do some things every now and then that look like it might be a blitz or whatever, but back out, you know? But their big thing is a million different coverages, combination zone coverages. Ooh, here's a snap of man-to-man to keep you honest. Back to some crazy disguises. You don't know what we're in. Oh, my gosh, it's all-out blitz. Oh, no, it's Tampa, too. It wasn't all-out blitz. Oh, it's all-out blitz. Oh, it's a three-man rush, and we're playing cover three, right? Oh, it's all-out blitz. Oh, it's all-out blitz. Oh, it's actually man to man in a three-man rush with a rat in the middle and a guy spying Josh Allen. So it's a little different way, but still, what's it doing, Ahmed? Like we talk about, it's making the quarterback think. It's not allowing the quarterback and offensive coordinator to ever really get in a rhythm to go, hey, they're playing like this every time we get in this formation. You don't know what the fuck you're going to get, let alone the way they do game plan specific coverages is really special. And they kept Bills and company off base with that all day long. So they blitz just 13 percent of the time versus the Buffalo Bills in their game this past Sunday and they limited that deep passing game so a lot of those coverages and it's like we're not going to let you do what you do best that's and right. so Josh Allen 20 yards or more down the field you're like that's a bread and butter just get it out there use exactly his, use his arm he was one for three had the touchdown uh, but also had the interception on his deep throws just three deep throws for just Josh three Allen deep throws the game. right you know as I the, the touchdown right phenomenal yes, the throw touchdown. I got that so that was the lone and, completion 
situation. And and then you said it, the interception, which was kind of like, hey, we might show pressure, and they drop back and played three man rush and played Tampa two, P Tampa two with a P dropper. So there's eight guys in a coverage. P dropper, a P dropper. You know how the Tampa two linebacker goes way down the middle of the field. Well, and P dropper Tampa two. The middle linebacker still goes deep down the field, but one of the D linemen dropped back and replaced where that middle linebacker was. So you have somebody underneath oh, too, wow. and that point's not voided, right? So now you got what, you know rushing three. Or? You're rushing three, and you got five underneath and three deep in Tampa wow. two, right? Instead of three deep and four underneath, right? So it makes it tough on a quarterback to find lanes where to throw the ball, right? But yeah, you know, and then there was one deep post I want to say that he threw and it ended up being incomplete. But, yeah, I mean, again, it goes into a little bit of what we've been talking about with Buffalo, right? Don't let him throw bombs and don't let him run around like a crazy man and make all these plays scrambling and then throwing lasers, and you can contain the Buffalo offense. And that's, what again, what we kind of saw in this one. And this way it wasn't necessarily as much with pressure or man-to-man stifling, but just the overall great disguises, changing of coverages, having a plan for Allen, confusing him and Ken Dorsey, and it worked continually throughout the night. Let's name-check some of these Bengals because you did it in your notes. Yeah. You thought DJ Reader and BJ Hill were too much to handle up front. They just held their own well, up that's, front. That's the other problem. That's what stinks about you know Buffalo a little bit sometimes is they go, they can't run the ball just against the front four. Forget the, like, oh, Cincinnati's got to bring people back into the box. They were never worried about that. They didn't ever have to worry about it. They were just like, no, you know, our two guys in the middle are like four guys. You guys can't move them. So it's like we got a six-man front. So, yeah, they give them a great advantage and that they never – or it's rare that they have to go, hey, we need to put another guy in the box. Those two are great space eaters. They can two-gap. They can hold their ground against double teams. They can really do it all, let alone when they sent three-man rushes, they collapsed the pocket on Buffalo a few times where you're just like, are you kidding me, Buffalo? You got a three-man rush. He should be able to sit back there, pat the ball, manipulate people, and he couldn't even do that. He had to get out of the pocket on a few of them because not only were there no where to go, but they didn't block the three guys. So then he had no choice, and that that's discouraging if you're a Bills fan. And a lot of times in your notes, you'll you'll say one guy who popped and showed a lot of speed out there. You might show two guys like these guys fly around the field. You listed like five numbers in the defensive secondary for the Bengals. I'll here. go through De- them if you want me to. Dax yeah. Hill, DJ Turner, right. Nick Scott is one of them right. too. Uh, Mike Hilton, yes, was also one of them. Who Cam Taylor out? Britt? Cam Taylor Britt. Their 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 secondary is as fast and athletic as anybody in the. NFL you know a little bit like we just talked about with the Chiefs you know they're they're between their linebackers and their secondary it is fast right the safeties cover a lot of ground I still think they're probably getting used to that defense you know with with um, Von Bell and and um, you know our guy down in Atlanta uh, Jesse Bates Mm -hmm. being gone I think that's part of maybe why their defense struggled early on in the football year and they've let up some big plays but Dan their potential and where they're going is scary damn good. And, you know, and we talked about the D tackles, and, of course, we know the pass rushers on the edge and Hendrickson and, and uh, um, you know, um, not Sam Hubbard. Excuse yep. me, I was going to say Chuba, Chuba Hubbard. Hubbard yeah. are, are, uh, are damn good, too. So that's where they got it all. There's only one thing that concerns me about the Bengals' defense. Lack of depth on their front four. 
That is something that does bother me. They ask those four to play a lot during the game, and there is a, a drop-off when the next group comes in, and that's something I worry about them a little bit with, with you know the top teams in football. The Bills' next game is Monday Night Football against the Denver Broncos. Broncos come in with a little extra rest in that game, coming off a, a bye, I guess, yes. Yeah. Uh, and the Bengals take on Houston. Which leads us to one more thing. Exactly. You're right. Way to go. You're starting to figure <laughs> me out in week nine. I sense it. Only thing I wanted to say, all right, just to button it up with the Bills a little bit. You know, for, for the, what, four to five weeks we're going to talk about, what excites you on the offense? There's never a play or a scheme where you go, wow, that was cool. Number 17 is the only thing you talk about, you know. And there's very few plays where the offense delivers anything. Right? You know, good plays are him sliding or buying time and then throwing a laser. That's what it is. I never would sit there and go, wow, that was cool. Ooh, this is a cool little thing they brought to the table here and are playing other plays off of. So that, that's something that continues to bother me about this, you know, uh, Bill's offense. And, and I don't know really what they're going to do to remedy it. And that was one more thing. Brought to you by Columbo, which is streaming right now on Peacock. If you're watching this on Peacock right now, you can, once you're done with this, you just go and stream some Columbo. I love that show. Uh, let, before we go, yeah, I want, I want you to give some love to your guy, yeah, let's CJ Stroud. Right. Because you went back, and I was like, okay, you're grinding all these defenses. We made you look at three defenses. How dare you? I was like, let's give you a treat at the end of it. Go look at C.J. Stroud. And maybe look, and you know, we saw those great plays at the end. Tank Dell, awesome. I mean, he's just carving them up at the end of the game. But look at the, look at the tape. Was it, was it really as good? Were there more bad plays in there that we're glossing <sighs> over because the finish was so good? So when you looked at the game tape for C.J. Stroud, were you as impressed as you were on Sunday? I'm, I mean, I'm blown away by C.J. Stroud. The love grows. The love is it's real. I mean... The patience, the accuracy, the quickness of the release, the ability to throw on the run, all of it are out of this world incredible for a rookie. I mean, they are. And then, you know, like you've heard me say, too, there's so many good quarterback plays where, you know, he's sitting in the pocket, he's sitting in the pocket, he's waiting for somebody to come open. Oh, no, wait, now the pocket collapsed on me a little quicker than I expected it to. And you're like, uh-oh, what's he going to do? Most rookies, you know, get in the fetal position and just go, okay, I'm going to take the sack. Or, you know, they try to run around like a chicken with their head cut off a little and try to do something. Fumble. He's like resets to the right spot and knows where his check down is and gets it out real quick or throws the ball at somebody's feet just to get it out in time to not take the sack. That's where I'm just amazed by it. Right. So and then, like I talked about, his ability to push the ball down the field with such ease. Right. It's like 20 yard out routes. It might as well be a four yard out route. The way in which he can throw it, the accuracy in which the location he puts it, it's it's through the roof. Good. And this is again, this is not an offense. that's like, hey, we're throwing a screen and he got 50. And oh, here's another short pass. And he ran for 40. Every throw is 15, 20, 25 yards down the field. And he just puts it on the money with one good decision after another. And I think that's where I'm just like amazed by it. All the perfectly thrown footballs that allow the running, the receivers to run after the catch and maximize what's there to be gained after the catch. That's incredible. So, you know, that's where I'm just amazed by it. He's one of the best play action quarterbacks in football, and he's one of the best downfield throwers in football already, right? And, you know, 
I, I, I just, like I said, I think he's as good a rookie quarterback as I've ever seen in my life. So this combination, you've mentioned it before with our offensive coordinator, Bobby, Bobby Slovic, right? Yeah, That's Bobby Slovic, yeah. Is, do we know how, if we're saying that right? Yeah, I think it's Bobby Slovic. Slovic. I thought it was Slovic. It's a W. It's a W, but I think it's, you know, one of those Eastern European. Hey, Bobby, if you're a homie, can you just tweet at us and <laughs> make sure we're saying your name right there? Because we want to give you proper credit here. Because you just mentioned it. You, you think that what Stroud does with his accuracy, downfield, able to put it in tight windows, arm strength. He's a great play-action passer. And this play-action game yes. that Slovak has, right. you also like I, I, you know, It's another lesson in like we talk about with rookie quarterbacks sometimes where all, they always go, let's manage him. Let's throw it short and get the ball out of his hands. Here's a great example of, no, let's let the field spread out. Let's let the young quarterback not have everybody jumbled up in one area and be able to see things a little bit. So that's where I love it. They don't give up on the run. Even in this game, they didn't run the ball very well. You know, and that would be one thing I'd look at on Tampa's ass side of the ball. Tampa kept playing defenses for a period of time where I was like, wait, wait, are they confused in who they're playing? Do they think they're playing the 93 Cowboys? I mean, there's a few times during the game where you're like, Todd Bowles, what are you guys doing? There's nine guys at the line of scrimmage. He's already thrown for 280 yards. They can't run the ball. Back off and play pass defense. Like, what are you doing? Right? So that played into this a little as well. But, yeah, I think it's the perfect offense for him, you know, and they're managing him the right way. They're managing without managing him, right, if that makes sense. You know, he doesn't have the whole playbook. They're not like, hey, here's the ball, throw the ball all over the place every play. They've done that when they've had to in football games. But even when they have to, they still try to, hey, let's keep a guy in the block. Hey, let's still work the play action. Even though we haven't run the ball worth a damn and we're down by 10 points here, it's still a nice thing for our quarterback. It makes him feel protected. It opens up the field a little bit. So that's where I really love it. And then, you know, hot routes – Dump-offs, throwaways, always knows where to go, right? His accuracy and arm strength make you defend every inch of the field, right? And McCollum, number 27 at the end of the football game, he learned that because that last 25-yard out route that set them up for the touchdown, I mean, McCollum, number 27 for the, the Bucks, he was not in bad position. I, when I was watching live, I wanted to go, what an idiot. What was he thinking? I mean, just let him throw underneath. He backed off with pretty good distance. I think he was at a spot where he's like, he ain't going to throw this. I'm here. This guy is just a few feet from me, right? He's not going to do this. And if he does throw, he's not going to be able to get this in here. And then C.J. Stroud just, boom, lets it go right on rhythm and, of course, puts it in the perfect spot. And the perfect spot beat McCollum and his body positioning, which wasn't that bad, like I said. And that, of course, set up the double post with a touchdown uh, a play or two later. It could be one of the more interesting games this week. Texans at Cincinnati. Lou Anaroma, we just talked about him. What will he do to try to confuse or slow down C.J. Stroud? And will it work? We will be watching that this weekend. And now we close the book on film review, mid-season awards. That was a giant pod. That was I'm meaty. Be, we had to do it. That was fun. I, I really enjoyed that. Good. I'm glad you did. I'm there. glad you did because you're stuck doing this podcast, whether you like it or not. So you might as well make it fun. Okay? <laughs> it doesn't matter if I like it or not, but I did actually enjoy that. Yeah, uh, that yeah. was very well, fun. Hopefully we hit on some good things there that the homies enjoyed. Uh, little X's and O's football, little things about some defenses out there that make them good, bad, and whatever else. Uh, we got some exciting matchups in Week 10. We'll be talking about them tomorrow on Pro Football Talk Live in the morning with Florio, and then we'll break them down even more with the Chris Sims Unbutton PFTPM collaboration of our Joint Picks podcast with Mike Florio. Ahmed, you were the man as always. Thanks for driving the ship. 
Thanks for making me sound intelligent mm-hmm. as, much, as much as you mm-hmm. can. That's a hard job. Everybody be good. You know where to find us. Keep sending in the questions, the thoughts. Challenge me. You know I love it. Okay. Philadelphia fans, calm down. I was just bringing up food for thought on the catch rule at the end zone. I picked you guys <laughs> to win the game and to be one of the best bets of the day. Sensitive. Chill out. Chill fans. out. You don't have to hate me because I was bringing up a conversation that's broader to football. All right. And I've talked plenty good about your team and Jalen Hurts all the time. All right. Everybody be good. Peace out. Clap it up. Clap it up. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.